From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe again from you. Hi, and welcome to Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. This week, our nation witnessed the peaceful transition to the Biden-Harris administration. For us postal geeks and those whose hobby is philately, the 2021 presidential inaugural first day cover cancellations were approved only the day prior to the inauguration, and I understand are available through the Stamp Fulfillment Center in Kansas City, Missouri. We now await Senate confirmation of presidential nominees and appointments three of which would be the USPS Board of Governors, the Postal Service Board of Governors. On Wednesday afternoon, Vice President Kamala Harris swore in three new senators, Senator Alex Padilla of California, who was appointed by the governor of California to fill the unexpired term of Vice President Kamala Harris, and Senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnick, who were elected in the Georgia runoff election. With their seating in the Senate, Senator Gary Peters of Michigan assumed the chairmanship of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Our guest on NAPS Chat today is one of Chairman Peters' congressional colleagues from the House of Representatives, Congressman Andy Levin of Michigan. Representative Levin represents the suburbs to the north of Detroit, including the communities of Bloomfield, Royal Oak, and Warren. Congressman Levin was just sworn in for his second term as a member of the House and serves on the House Education and Labor Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Representative Levin has established a strong relationship with NAPS and is a solid and strong supporter of the postal issues and part of a strong pro-postal delegation in the Wolverine State, which includes Senators Peters and Stabenow, as well as Representative Brenda Lawrence. Congressman Levin, welcome to NAPS Chat, and congratulations on your beginning your sophomore term in the House of Representatives. Thanks so much, Bob. It's really great to be with you. Now, I want to ask you this first question. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced into the podcast an opening question at the suggestion of a chief of staff of one of your colleagues. So I intend to pose it to you. What is the earliest recollection you have of either receiving or sending mail? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question, Bob. I would say off the top of my head, my earliest recollection would be in elementary school when we were learning to write cursive probably back in the day. And our teacher, you know, had a pen pal thing going on, which at least in those days was very common. And I think we wrote letters back and forth to children in Japan. But I have to tell you, the other thing that comes to mind is that when I was a young person, this wouldn't be the first recollection, but I did a lot of traveling in Haiti and India, China, and other countries when I was a young adult. And the only way that we really communicated was through the mail. And you wrote a letter from Varanasi, India, and you put it in the the mail there, and it got to your parents in Michigan, whatever, or your girlfriend or whoever you were writing to. And then, you know, maybe sometime later you would get, get a a letter back. And now people have FaceTime and all of this, but I think something's really been lost because those letters are an incredible record of 
you know, a year in India, for example, and that just FaceTime or uh, WhatsApp, it just doesn't doesn't do the same thing for our culture, I don't think. So letters are super important to me. Also, it impaired our ability to communi- communicate in the English language. And usage and grammar has really uh, suffered because of uh, the migration away from uh, the written word into the digital word. No question. No question. Let me uh, talk about sort of the elephant in the room, and that is that these past three weeks have been extraordinarily consequential for this nation. I refer to the tale of three Wednesdays and three eyes. Week one, insurrection. Week two, impeachment. Week three, inauguration. Can you talk about your emotions and perspective relating to these 21 days in America? Well, actually, Bob, I was last night, I was sitting in my apartment here in D.C. writing notes to some, you know, letters, essentially, to some political supporters, actually. (laughs) I wouldn't have thought of that. And I was kind of overcome with emotion, as I told them because of these three Wednesdays. But wow, it certainly feels different to uh, be on this side of inauguration uh, compared to the other two eyes we went through, the insurrection and the impeachment. I, I think it'll take a long time for our country to digest and come to terms with what happened on January 6th. But you know, there was a violent mob that tried to overrun this capital with us in it. <laughs> and as we learned to try to kill the vice president, the speaker, other members of Congress, kidnap us, and basically to stop our democracy from moving forward with a counting of the electoral college vote with a peaceful transfer of power. And I just, being on this side of inauguration, I am so full of gratitude and pride for, you know, the majority of people in this nation, the vast majority, who are so committed to this two-century-old experiment with self-government and with the rule of law and with us deciding who our, who our rulers are going to be and not the other way around. And, you know, it just makes me think. I mean, I'm 60 and I still play hockey you know, in the beer leagues, as we call them, back home in, in Detroit. And you know what, Bob? I hate to lose as much as I did when I was 12 years old. But when, you know, after every game, we line up and we shake hands. And even if you lost six to nothing or something and got cream, you go shake hands with the other side. And all of the big lie and the conspiracy theories aside, We just had a free and fair election with no evidence whatsoever of fraud or any problems. And it stinks to lose, but when you lose an election, you have to honor the winner and, you know, live on to fight for your views another day. And uh, we need to get back to that, to staying within the bounds of democracy or our our experiment of self-government will be over. I love the hockey analogy because I think it was around 41 years ago that the American hockey team defeated the Russians up in Lake Placid, New York. And despite everything that was at stake in that game, national pride, among other things, at the conclusion of the game, they lined up and they shook hands. (laughs) That's right. What the big underdog American. Yep. And, uh, you know, Detroit was a big beneficiary of Russia's hockey 
prowess because our general manager way back when had the foresight to to uh, find a bunch of Russian hockey players, and that led to Stanley Cups in Detroit. <laughs> so, you know, that's a great example of how, you know, our world is so diverse and human beings from all over are so incredible in our own country. You know, we need to celebrate our diversity, listen to each other across all partisan differences, and do our best to create a more perfect union where more people participate, we have more equality, not less, more freedom, not less. And that's, that's what the inauguration means to me, that we're moving forward, you know, wounded, but, uh, but healing and unbowed for sure. Let me come back to January 6th. Where were you when the Capitol doors were breached? Um, so, well, uh, I, a little earlier, I was right here in my office in the Cannon building, and we had a knock on the door after things started to go crazy, and a Capitol Police officer said, let's go, we're evacuating Cannon. It was so urgent, I didn't even get my laptop. <laughs> So we went over to the Longworth office building, and uh, then I actually it was a good thing because I went to the cafeteria there, and that was the only meal I ate that day. I got mm. some, I got a salad, but then I went up to uh, my colleague Deb Holland's office. Uh, she's a very close friend from my class, and I was so over the moon about her being nominated to lead the Department of the Interior, but I hadn't had a chance to spend any time with her, so we kind of had a distance visit in person in her office. And then when things really went south, I was over in the office of my Michigan colleague, uh, Alyssa Slotkin, who's right there in the same Longworth building. And she and I spent the bulk of that time together. I mean, again, socially distanced. She, my, my chief of staff and I were in her legislative staff room. She, Like me, she doesn't bring any staff in, just one person uh, mm -hmm. during COVID. So... It was it was safe and but you know it was crazy. I mean, she brought out the hoods, you know, that all of our offices had, and we were told to that she had she had brought told one of the news uh, TV stations or something that she and I were in her office, and we got a message that no one should say where they are. You know, I mean, it was a, a very big crisis, just incredible. A, a, I mean, in a, a violent attempt to overthrow our democracy, really, right there. It's hard to even say it, but that's just what happened. Now, I'm sure your family members who are quite distinguished in politics, and I name your dad, who's the for former congressman, San Sandra Levin, who served 18 uh, terms in the House of Representatives, and your uncle, Senator Carl Levin, served six terms in the US United States Senate. They never had to deal with this. I mean, the closest they had to deal with something like this was probably 9-11 when there was a thought that one of the planes was heading towards the Capitol. But I want to ask you, before you were elected, and maybe, you know, during your term, have you sought or have they offered any advice to you on uh, being a legislator? I talk to my dad every day and my uncle all the time. And I don't think anybody else has the same deal I do, Bob. I mean, these are the two siblings who served, they each served 36 years, as you mentioned, 32 of them together. And that's by far the longest any siblings have served together in the whole history of our United States Congress. And they're my dad and my uncle, and I talk to them all the time. So no other member, I think, has that deal, that sort of 
direct line to that much wisdom and experience. I, I would say they hesitate to give me advice in any kind of bossy way. It's just not our, their style or our style. They are free with their opinions. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they tell me a lot of stories and they give me a lot of ideas, but they mostly respond to my queries. They're not, uh, you know, they're very, very supportive of me. And I love them both very much. And I just, I, you know, I rely on their advice and counsel a lot, you know, a heck of a lot. Like, for example, during first impeachment of Donald Trump, I had access to, you know, somebody reached out to me with some, you know, allegations. And I, you know, relied on Carl's advice as, as someone who was the chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee in terms of how to handle that potential witness, you know, things like that. It just comes up in so many different ways, and they're an incredible resource to me. Let me shift gears a bit. One of the so-called battleground states in the 2020 election, 2020 election was Michigan, as we all know. Both the presidential outcomes and the Senate outcome, where Senator Peters was, re- was reelected, relied on the accuracy and integrity of absentee voting, which was dependent in a large part on the Postal Service. What was your experience with absentee voting in Michigan, and how well did the Postal Service perform during the election season? Well, so let me just set the table for, for the, your listeners. I mean, in 2018 in Michigan, we had three ballot proposals, and they all passed. But one of them was called Promote the Vote, and it made many uh, improvements in our, uh, our democratic process, including what you might call no reason absentee voting or voting at home, as a lot of us like to call it. But basically, before the pandemic, right, everybody could now vote by mail if they wanted to. And then the pandemic hit. And our Secretary of State did an outstanding job of implementing the new constitutional amendments that we we voted for. By the way, we voted for this ballot initiative 67% to 33%, overwhelmingly. And so way more people voted absentee in Michigan than in 2020 than ever before. Like something like three and a half million of the five and a half million ballots cast were absentee votes. And some people, the, the way we use the term, it includes some people who went into their clerk and voted early in person and people who use drop boxes that the clerk, you know, all the, most of the clerks put out, but most of those people voted by the U S postal service. And, you know, it was basically to answer your question in a few words, it was a stunning success. When the ballots were counted and recorded, there was simply no problem of any significance with the mail ballots and all the conspiracy theories that there were problems were totally debunked. And I just have to say that, you know, my colleagues who undermined our free and fair election during the certification process on January 6th, remember, even after the insurrection, most of my Republican colleagues voted to nullify the the votes of millions of people in Arizona and Pennsylvania, and they wanted to vote the same way on Georgia and Michigan and Nevada, but they couldn't even get a senator to go along with them. Anyway, 
those people really undermined all of the postal workers who work day in and day out, nights and weekends. Some probably even miss special life events just to make sure that our absentee ballots arrived securely, arrived on time and could be counted during the pandemic. And so, you know, I salute the postal workers throughout the system because they did a great job under very difficult circumstances. I made a comment a couple of weeks ago to one of our guests saying that would it would have surprised Ben Franklin, the first postmaster general of the United States, to wake up 230, 240 years after his passing and discover that the Postal Service, his creation, was delivering democracy for America. Literally, literally delivering democracy, you know. And I mean, the, you know, the, the, it's not as if there were no problems or there are no problems with what's going on with the Postal Service in Michigan. I mean, there's been a historic volume of mail since the pandemic hit. Conventional, you know, brick and mortar stores closed. People stayed at home. And so people are shopping online. The holidays came. People are sending gifts to their friends and families instead of uh, exchanging them. We saw, in, you know, in person, we, we saw private carriers start turning packages away, but the U.S. Postal Service, you know, continues to accept every package and try to get them to our every doorstep just as quickly as possible. That's the kind of public service that the USPS is, and that's why I am, you know, I love it, and I'm such an advocate for it, because I'll tell you what, Bob, another thing that President Biden just did was to, to suspend drilling for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. I once went on a paddling trip in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for 14 days, just me and four buddies. We organized it ourselves. It wasn't one of those like package trips. And we came out at the end of those 14 days to a little settlement called Koktovik at the edge of the wet wildlife refuge. And it's basically a bunch of trailers in so cold, way north of the Arctic Circle. And, you know, what's the most prominent trailer? U.S. Postal Service, you know, the post office. Every, I mean, the post office serves every most remote hamlet and every neighborhood of the biggest cities. And, you know, these private carriers are out there to make money. Okay, fine, but, you know, I'm... Yeah, I throw in with the Postal Service. That's what we rely on as Americans to make sure that people get their medicine, you know, people get their ballots to participate in democracy, the whole gamut. Absolutely. Now, as you recall, over the past this past summer, you and many of your colleagues took issue with postal headquarters initiatives that would have impacted or, in fact, did impact postal performance. Midsummer, the Postal Service suspended the implementation of those directives as a result of pressure being leveled by Congress against those actions. Could you talk a little bit about those pressures that uh, you and your colleagues leveled against the Postal Service and what you would do if the Postal Service lifts its moratorium on the implementation of those policies? Sure. I mean, I went as, as many of my colleagues did, my response was to go to the post office. Um, I set up a trip at, uh, to the Royal Oak Post Office, one of the post offices in my district. Um, I went with both uh, postal you know, worker union uh, officials and the 
whatever the leadership of the Postal Service was at that post office for our region and push back very hard against, you know, these changes. And our senator, our junior senator from Michigan, Gary Peters, who was then the ranking member, he's soon be the he's now the chair of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security. He investigated the USPS changes overseen by DeJoy and the harmful delays that resulted from those changes. And we trumpeted that information and, and accurate information about the problems. And then in the House, we passed the Delivering for America Act, uh, which prohibited the proposed changes by DeJoy and put an additional $25 billion of funding for the U.S. Postal Service. We included all that into the HEROES Act, which we passed on May 15th and then again on October 1st. Now, the Senate never passed those things, but, you know, one of the biggest ways we can put pressure on in addition to oversight is to pass legislation saying what we think we think should happen. So we basically forced the Trump administration to walk back uh, many of the changes, but a lot of damage was already done, and we're going to have our work cut out for us in the new Congress and the new administration to repair that damage and bring the U.S. Postal Service back to its fantastic normal state. And, of you know, I mean, I'll just tell you, sure, more of us pay more bills online and whatever, but I put, you know, I send a package or send a letter. I never think about it. I never worry it's not going to get there, you know, and that's what we need. And there's still delays going on right now, you know, but because of the volume, but, and I don't know how much of it is because of, you know, some of the impact of those changes, but we we're going to support, I feel confident that in the Biden administration and in this Congress, we're going to give much more consistent and robust support for, you know, to the U.S. Postal Service. That's a great, great way to segue to my final question. When we started this podcast, we started with the acknowledgement that there's a new sheriff in town that is in the White House and a razor-thin Democratic majority in the Senate, where your colleague, the junior senator from Michigan, is now chairing the Senate full committee with jurisdiction over the Postal Service. So I'm curious, what expectations do you have in the 117th Congress and by the Biden-Harris administration with regard to the Postal Service and public service in general? Well, you know, I one of my top priorities is to get this albatross off the, from around the neck of the U.S. Postal Service about the absurd requirements, you know, on funding healthcare and pensions and so forth, and to provide adequate funding for the Postal Service. So I'm really, you know, going to be pushing for that. But I just think that all of us have to take the, you know, take our cues from our constituents. And I can just tell you that, like in my district, since DeJoy's attempts to hinder the Postal Service to become publicly known, I've received over 4,500 messages from my constituents in support of the Postal Service, many of them actual letters, you know, coming in. And I also have a lot of veterans in my community, and they rely heavily on the Postal Service for, you know, their, their prescription medicine from the VA and so forth. So we don't have any choice 
but to do a better job. And I think that the many of us have held up postal workers as a real symbol of essential workers in our society. And I think that that is a lot of rhetoric that's empty unless we actually deliver the goods to secure the uh, financing of the Postal Service and, you know, the, the ongoing funding it needs to operate. There are a few things in life that really don't, I don't see as a question of markets. You know, I don't think a great public school education for every kid has anything to do with markets. I don't think that everybody having access to health care has anything to do with markets. And I see the Postal Service as a public good in that way, that every person in our country needs to be able to have a cost-effective way of receiving and sending mail and packages. And I'd even like to expand it. You know, it's a whole other discussion, but I'm an advocate for postal banking and, you know, really taking full advantage of the fact that post offices are in every single community in our country and that a lot of people don't have access to services and they trust their post office and they know where it is. So I just see a really bright and important future for the post office. And I know we'll have a strong ally in the Biden administration to, you know, to try to bring brighter days for the post office in the, in the next few years. From your mouth to God's ears, Congressman Levin, thanks for joining me on this episode of NAPS Chat, and good luck in the 117th Congress. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks for all you do, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. I want to thank uh, NAPS Chat listeners for logging on this week. If you enjoy NAPS Chat, please leave us a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store, and more importantly, share NAPS Chat with your friends and colleagues. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy till next week. I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter and make